The fact is that no single weather episode can either prove or disprove global climate change. Climate is the pattern of weather that we observe geographically and over the seasons. And it's described in terms of averages, variations, and probabilities. But a growing body of evidence suggests that the kind of extreme cold being experienced by much of the United States as we speak is a pattern that we can expect to see with increasing frequency as global warming continues. And the reason is this. In the warming world that we're experiencing, the far north, the Arctic, is warming roughly twice as rapidly as the mid-latitudes, such as the United States. That means that the temperature difference between the Arctic and the mid-latitudes is shrinking. And that temperature difference is what drives what is called the circumpolar vortex, which is the great counterclockwise swirling mass of cold air that hovers over the Arctic. As the temperature difference between the Arctic and the mid-latitudes declines, the polar vortex weakens, and it becomes wavier. The waviness means that there can be increased, larger excursions of cold air southward, that is, into the mid-latitudes, and in the other phase of the wave, increased excursions of relatively warmer mid-latitude air into the far north. Computer models tell us that there are many different factors influencing these patterns. And, as in all science, there will be continuing debate about exactly what is happening. But I believe the odds are that we can expect, as a result of global warming, to see more of this pattern of extreme cold in the mid-latitudes and some extreme warm in the far north. Are you ready for the changes needed in the world as we know it? <laughs> The White House smacks down climate deniers in a new video. You just listen to the audio. I don't think the video is that um, exciting. Yeah, the video, I mean, it's informational. It shows some extra graphs and such, uh, but it's mostly just, it also shows some cold weather images, but you can get most of it from the audio, which is why we chose to play that one today. If you pay just a little attention to what scientists say, it shouldn't be too hard to understand how freezing conditions across North America can be linked to climate change. Now, I think the issue really is someone a while ago came up with the idea of calling it, what do you call it, global warming. And therefore, um, people say, how can you can have global warming when it's colder? <laughs> yeah. Well, climate change means that the climate changes due to the Earth warming. Yeah. So we still have the same types of weather, just they're more extreme. In case you didn't know, in winter it gets cold. Yeah, it gets cold in winter, it gets hot in summer. And, and we used to, I mean, we winter used to be you would have cold days and then you'd have nice sunny days. That's why I like living in southern Illinois. Mm. You know, living off-grid... Um, solar wise, I would have two or three weeks of no sun in the middle of the winter. But the majority of winter, there was sun enough to live off of the power of the sun. Yeah. Even though it was cold hmm. or relatively cold, when the temperature went up to 20 degrees a couple days ago, 
I was like, wow, it's so nice and toasty out. I, <laughs> I, I almost went out in a t-shirt, but then I thought better of it. <laughs> yeah. I forgot I was going to post online when it started getting towards the, uh, approaching, rising to the freezing point. I was like, oh, heat wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone, uh, yesterday said, man, it's f- still freezing out. I was like, no, it's not. It's 34 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's way above freezing now. So, um, unfortunately we're going to have more, fluctuation in weather yeah i mean you know it's supposed to be 50 this weekend and it was like negative 50 last weekend <laughs> yeah that's a little bit of extreme <laughs> just like yeah it's uh i climate activists sometimes use the phrase the new normal you know that this is becoming the new normal like like he said in the audio just now there's no conclusive way to tie one weather event to uh, climate change because you know weather fluctuates and climate is about the long-term patterns but this is this sort of fluctuation in temperatures from highest to low from a polar vortex coming and swooping down over the midwest and a lot of the country really um, that's something we can expect to see more of under the predictions of climate change oh man that sucks yeah <laughs> so it, it sucks a great big vortex of polar air yeah it sucks all the heat out of us you know if, if you were thinking to yourself oh okay this is one of those once in a hundred years storms i'll be fine this is the only one i'll ever see may not be the case we may see more of the same i thought it was very interesting that um president barack obama's science advisor john holdren used his exceptional grasp of science to coolly smack down climate deniers in this video that we just played. This was posted on Wednesday. Yeah. I think it's profoundly important to note that when everybody is saying, I could understand them putting up videos, you know, saying, you know, climate change is caused by mankind, et cetera, when it's hot. Yeah. Okay. It's a big deal for them to put up a video explaining how this cold weather is caused by climate change. Yeah. Yeah, cause it's, there's all the climate deniers are coming out in force. I'm not even gonna dignify them by saying their names or quoting their quotes or anything, but all of these pundits are coming out and saying like, oh, it's cold outside, therefore there's no global warming. And for the White House to release this video at this time is very proactive and Surprisingly so. I wonder if the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, you know. You look at some of the climate policy, not always so good. But the rhetoric here, I mean, they're making the science very clear to the public with this video. Well, it's science. Yeah. Science is very clear. <laughs> yeah, science is clear. They But this is political <laughs> science, which is not clear, normally. Yeah. Isn't political science an oxymoron? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, science is very clear. Scientific evidence is clear knowledge based on, guess what? Facts. Facts, yeah. yeah. You can have your Political own opinion. knowledge <laughs> is based on what? Mo money. <laughs> I was going to say hearsay, but... <laughs> yeah, hearsay, whoever <laughs> pays you the most to pass whatever policies you like. Uh, but yeah, it's based on facts, and you can have your own opinions, but you can't have your own facts. I actually posted on one of my online groups, it's colder than. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Um. Here's one. It's colder than ability for a polar bear to be outside. Yeah. In Chicago, it's too cold for even the polar bears to be out there. <laughs> so, Anana, a polar bear, lives in Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo. And for a polar bear, there's basically, this is equivalent of like living in Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> you know? As in, it's warm. Even when it's cold, it's like pleasant warm, you know? And so, 
like a super tan American expat warm. Anana adapted to her new home, and she's still got her polar bear blubber. She's not a native after all, but but compared to the juicy five-inch thick layer of protective fat she have grown back home, it's pretty thin. And so when the temperature dropped to zero degrees Fahrenheit, that's negative 40 with the wind chill, Anana gets cold. Uh, this is from DNA Info. Anana is keeping warm in a climate-controlled area in the wake of the city's below zero temperature, according to zoo spokeswoman Sharon Demore. Yeah. So, so cold, the polar bears go inside. <laughs> that sounds like one of those urban legends, but it's true. <laughs> you know, they adapt to the Chicago climate, and then it's not like Chicago weather anymore. And uh, Yeah. So cold, the polar bears are going inside. Well, this one's funny. Yeah. This one's good. Wind power... Kept the heaters working in Texas. Wind power helped Texas avoid blackouts as residents and businesses turned on their heaters this week amid plummeting temperatures and dwindling electric supplies. Even Texas was cold. Yes, even Texas was cold. I mean, Texas is known for being warm. And on back on Monday... No, Texas is known for a lot of hot air. Yeah, <laughs> got a lot of hot air. No, that's not true. I know people from Texas, and they'd kick my butt. I was kidding, Texans. <laughs> I was kidding. They're going to come and get you. But, yeah, they uh, the wind termites were turning, and they were providing 1,800 megawatts of the 56,000 megawatts of power available in most of Texas. This was just enough to avoid outages after several fossil fuel power plants shut down due to weather-related problems. So the, all of these highly toted, like, fossil fuel baseload power plants... They started going offline because of the weather. I wonder what caught, what what happened. I don't know. It doesn't have the details in the article, but some it got so cold and windy and stormy, I guess, that <laughs> fossil fuel systems started going out, and wind had to save the day. Now, in an odd twist, <laughs> that wind-based salvation has led some to complain that the Lone Star State is too dependent on the clean energy source. <laughs> yeah, people will complain about anything. Yeah. Instead of like, yay, we've got power, they're like, we're depending on this clean energy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, let's see. Here's one of the quotes. Uh, the more the state relies on wind, there's a potential for having an unstable grid. <laughs> wind is not 100% reliable. This, this is the fossil fuel people saying this after their power plants stopped working and wind worked successfully. <laughs> they're saying all these, talking all this trash about fossil fuels. And this is not the first time wind has helped Texas avoid power outages in extreme weather. Either in 2011, high wind outputs during peak demand helped Texas grid weather 100-plus degree temperatures. Yeah. You know. So, yay, wind! Wind, yay! It's like, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty funny. So, it's a nice story for wind, but it's scary that they're relying on it in an emergency situation, said Adam Sheen, a Texas-based independent energy trade trader. I think wind should be looked at as kind of a buffer, and the grid should always have fossil fuel resources to prevent an event. <laughs> yeah. Now, should we remind people that weather knocked out the fossil fuel power plants, <laughs> but not the wind generators? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that's funny. I don't, it takes, you've got to admire on some level the audacity of these spokespeople for these fossil fuel companies, you know. When all of the facts staring in the face are saying wind just saved us from a disaster, they still have to go out there and, and suck it up and come up with some quote to say that is counteracting the facts. <laughs> but it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. 
So we are getting an extreme cold spell here, while down under, they're getting an extreme hot spell. Yeah. I mean, it's like in the 120s. Yeah. I don't know what their normal summer temperature is, but um, I saw some, you know, some people posting how cold it was, mm-hmm. and someone from Australia said, oh, I would, oh, that sounds phenomenal. Yeah. It's like both, um, I saw both uh, Australia and Brazil both posting, you know, how extremely hot it is right now, unusually hot. Yeah, we could just put a tunnel through the earth and let the heat transfer. <laughs> let them get our cold air and we get their hot air. But yeah, it's unfortunately though, once, when you get that level of heat, it's often no laughing matter. Um, there was a story where 100,000 bats fell from the sky in Australia this past oh, week. Oh, that just creeped me out. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's like a scene that could be coming straight out of Alfred Hitchcock's imagination. I don't, who ha- would have, I guess he does. I yeah. Was say, who would have that imagination? <laughs> he does, yeah, he does, he did. It was, he did his, his film about birds, so picture it with bats. Uh, only the bats are dead, so it's sort of a zombie film plus <laughs> this. But yeah, 100,000 bats were found just littering the ground after a major heat wave hit Australia this week. The heat caused the bats to just drop out of the sky and die upon impact. Uh, in addition to the bats, the heat wave, which struck the northeast side uh, northeast state of Queensland earlier this week and hit temperatures as high as 135 degrees Fahrenheit. It meant mass de- deaths for the country's flying foxes across an estimated 25 colonies. And this was while we were experiencing the polar vortex up here. So, yeah, 135 degrees. Think about that. Uh, so what does that mean? The average mean temperature of the Earth, you know, if, if we, if we were at zero here and there are 135 there, that means the average winter temperature was what, 65? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going up. You know. Well, for them, it was, it's the middle of summer and for us, it's the middle of winter. And that's one thing that people often don't think about is the summer extremes. If you say to someone, oh, you know, the global temperature is going to go up a few degrees, they'll say, oh, that's no big deal. But if you think about it, places like Australia, where it's already highs in the 120s, if that gets bumped up into the 130s, that's, it's a fine line there where suddenly everything starts dying because it's 10 degrees hotter. Well, the average Earth's temperature might go up 2 degrees, but on the poles, it'll go up, you know, 10 to 12 degrees. Yeah. And that's where all our ice and snow is, you know. And if that, if it goes 10 or 12 degrees, that means that stuff will start melting. Yeah. And that will really mess up our Earth. So, and it already has happened. They can actually travel through the North you know, passage yeah. for the first time in history. Yeah, the Northwest Passage used to be a stuff of legend. You know, it didn't people would try to find it and it didn't actually exist. Try but... to sneak through <laughs> all the floating ice flows. Yeah. <laughs> but now there's like big, wide, open expansion. Of, well, not right now. It's winter. Yeah. <laughs> but during the summer. So. You can go for a swim through the Northwest Passage. Yet another train explodes, this time in New Brunswick, Canada. Looking for a way to warm yourself through this bitter North American cold snap? Just huddle around the nearest train tracks in hopes that one of those countless oil-hauling trains traversing the continent will pass by and... Combust! It hasn't been even two weeks since a derailed train laden with crude exploded in North Dakota when a similar incident occurred near the village of Plaster Rock in New Brunswick, Canada, just beyond the main border. Of... 
the 15 cars that jumped the tracks, four were carrying crude oil and four were carrying propane. Dang. Derailed cars burned through the night and emergency responders were unwilling to get close enough to figure out which of the carriages were ablaze. Not even like to do anything, but yeah. to figure out which, <laughs> which one of them. Yeah. About 45 nearby homes were evacuated after the incident. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame the emergency responders for that one. You know, it's like, let's see, do we approach the, the steaming, flaming pile of propane tanks? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Let's I just... mean, cause I mean, the propane tanks might not have exploded yet. I mean. Yeah. They might have been about to explode. And so, I mean, you, all you can do then is pretty much establish a perimeter and Let make sure, yeah, make sure it doesn't spread any further. But yeah. I was on an emergency management, um, what do you call it? Panel, not a panel, but um, we were, were trying to figure out what is the biggest issue of uh, Carbondale and how to deal with it. Yeah. This, I would say this might have been 10 years ago, and we determined that it was literally the trains going through town. Yeah. And because of our committee, we actually made it so that they have to slow down to a crawl going through town. Yeah. You know, because we were like, we don't want trains rocketing through town. It's carrying a lot of different dangerous things. And so um, they actually have to slow down when they go through town. Plus, it's noisy for the people sleeping in town. Yeah. So water pollution from drilling confirmed in at least four states. The Pittsburgh AP reports in at least four states, hundreds of complaints have been made about water well contamination from oil or gas drilling and pollution was confirmed in a number of them according to a survey that cast doubt on industry suggestions that such problems rarely happen. The Associated Press requested data on drilling-related complaints in Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and Texas and found major differences in how the states report such problems. Texas provided the most detail, with the other states just providing only general outlines. Well, I think Texas has a history of um, keeping track of this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, so they probably have a lot more expertise. Um, and while the confirmed problems represent only a teeny portion of the thousands and thousands of oil and gas drills, wells drilled each year in the U.S., the lack of detail in some states' reports could help fuel public confusion and mistrust. The AP found that Pennsylvania received 398 complaints in 2013 alleging that Oil or natural gas drilling polluted or otherwise affected private water wells compared to 499 in 2012. Hmm. Now, do you think it's going down because people are not getting any response? <laughs> yeah, it might be going down. Or, you know, they're like, I already complained for a year and a half and haven't got a response, so I don't... Yeah, you know. or maybe more people have signed non-disclosure agreements now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the Pennsylvania complaints can include allegations of short-term diminished water flow as well as pollution from stray gas, and more than 100 cases of pollution were confirmed over the past five years. Yeah. So Part of what concerns me about those numbers, too, is it's hard to estimate the unreported values because there are some people who may not know their water is contaminated or they may have some concern, but they don't think anything's going to be done about it. Or, you know, there's, it, it could be a higher number than this, you know, and we don't know exactly how much higher, but even the numbers we have are pretty high. 
Well, I mean, if you have water that's polluted and that's your only source of water, a complaint, you know, I mean, if your well is permanently polluted, that's it. You're done. Yeah. Some people will just move away. They'll be like, well, I can't, I don't have the money to fight this. I'm just going to go sell the, you know, the generations old family farm and go somewhere else. Yeah, so let's see what fossil fuels has brought us this week. It's brought us poison water. <laughs> it's brought us exploding train cars. And the power plants have been failing and not giving us energy when they were supposed to. <laughs> and it's brought us a polar vortex. This so is the good news <laughs> is... Yes. There's a library without books. Yeah, a library without books. <laughs> That's our good <laughs> news for today. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the end is near. Page sniffers mourn the loss of our dog-eared friends. Um, I mean, hurrah, hurrah for the <laughs> a library that saves trees. <laughs> uh, we, they try to take away our books, save our trees by taking away books. But yeah, Bibliotech is an all-digital public library on the south side of San Antonio that offers 10,000 titles on 600 e-readers, 25 iPads, and 25 laptops. Library also includes 50 desktop computers and 100 Nook tablets preloaded with children's books. But it has no physical books whatsoever. Patrons can read the library's digital books on their own tablets as well as the ones provided. Internet access and kids' story time are other more familiar perks of a library. And this, this is an interesting question of how green this is. Like, you may wonder with all these devices, is this a green technology solution? But it, it eliminates the need for book storage space and it, uh, spent, you print a lot less books in theory, you know. Well, I think that there always should be the option. I have seen um, a printer recycler. Mm. Um, I haven't actually seen one to be able to buy it. But the idea is you print out or you basically you get your scrap paper mm. and you put it into um, what is it, a paper shredder. Yeah. And then the paper shredder gets that and adds water and turns it into pulp. And mixes it together and makes new paper. Yeah. Right there in it. And then when you want to print something out, so it's a, a shredder, a paper maker, and a printer. Huh. Oh, all, all in one. one? Yeah. And so as long as, you know, you're putting new paper in there and, you know, you can't, it's not a closed loop si- situation because you always have to put in about a four to five percent new paper. Yeah. Because it progressively gets worse. Yeah. It gets torn up you in know. the process. But, I mean, um, we think we have um, recycled paper here in the States. Mm. In Mexico, you buy 100% recycled paper. There's like 100 different versions. But there's one version. I bought a whole pack and brought it back to the States. It's almost like tissue paper. And it's strong. It's very super thin, completely brown. And it's, you know, the size of note paper. And you make your notes on it. Yeah. But it's, you know, super thin. But 100% recycled. And so what we have here in the States, it is, it looks just like regular paper. We're not willing to compromise and have, you know, 100% recycled paper. Because what we call here 100% recycled, a lot of that is new paper. An example is in the paper plants, they have all this scrap. When they cut the paper, they have all this scrap, and instead of throwing it away, they reuse it now, and that's part of the recycling. Yeah, that's why they started to label pre-consumer and post-consumer, right. because pre-consumer waste is just all of that scrap, 
And some places before they started labeling it, they'd use like 90% pre-consumer waste and then they'd call it 100% recycled. That seems like a little bit of a trick. <laughs> so that's, I think that will also be the future, the ability to, I, I remember, um, one of those sci-fi shows where he actually had a book printed out. <laughs> yeah. And people were laughing, making fun of him. He was like, why would you, and you know, he was carrying it around and he was reading it and people were, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. why did you have that book printed out? You know? Yeah. Why not just read it on your tablet? Right. And, yeah. Well, it's interesting to read some of the, it's hard to analyze exactly the ecological footprints of some of these things, but they're saying, uh, Bibliotech is saying that, uh, well, according to their research, Let's see, 50 books, if you read 50 books on each tablet, and those books end up not being printed because you were reading them on a tablet. Yeah, it uses, to make an e-reader, it takes about the same amount of energy as to make 50 books. Yeah, so if you read 50 books or more on the e-tablet, then it was worth it, according to some of these uh, researches. But yeah. Now, at this particular bookless library, they had over 10,000 library users registered in the first three months. Yeah. So it and sounds because, like I mean, gonna... part of it is you don't have to go to the library to read them. Yeah. You know, if you have your own, you know, you can check out books, you know. And so I don't know how that works. I guess, you know, they send you a electronic version that expires. Yeah, if probably. If you don't pay the late fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably something like that. And I feel like we're always going to have print books. That's just my personal opinion but this model it's interesting to see this model where you do it all electronically and maybe it'll work for some people maybe there will be people who just want to read it online and that'll be their whole experience of books now today happens to be two interesting holidays yeah today is national clean off your desk day and national cut your energy cost day so I would say it's national clean off your desk and take a day off from work day. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. If you want to save some energy, don't be at work. <laughs> yeah. Just take a nap instead. <laughs> Let's see some other stuff coming up. Uh we have the on the the 12th on Sunday, the anniversary of the first woman senator elected. And also the anniversary of the Batman TV show premiere. <laughs> Two auspicious occasions. Wednesday is Humanitarian Day, and it says it's the actual birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. You know, they celebrate it on a Monday in order to make getting the day off easier, but it's his actual birthday on Wednesday. It says Thursday is National Nothing Day. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just like what would you say? can just stay home, do nothing, and save energy that they have, they have. <laughs> they have holidays for everything. So. Yeah. Um... I would say the most suspicious happening in the area is the Carbondale Community Farmers Market. They're doing their winter market, and they did take a couple weeks off. Um, the farmers, just like us, needed some holiday time. Yeah. Tomorrow, the Carbondale Farmers Market has moved indoors for the winter, providing a place for the community to gather, meet the faces of agriculture, and get the taste of all of Southern Illinois has to offer. If you... um Go to their Facebook page. They've posted pictures and, um, even more excited, the list of all the stuff that will be at the market. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of local farmers now have great greenhouses and are growing some really good stuff. Yeah. So even in the winter, we get to eat. We're very grateful for farmers for that. <laughs> Again, located in the Carbondale Community High School North Entrance on Saturdays from 9 until 1. 
All right, other happenings. We have game night coming up on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Guy Haas Interfaith Center. Start the new year off right with game nights. And it's, I, I go to that whenever I get a chance. Uh, last time we played a card game called Zombie Flux, where you deal cards that have zombies on them and all sorts of other things. People bring whatever games they have and then we play them. And so it's, uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Guy Haas Interfaith Center. You can bring your games if you want to show up and play whatever we have on hand. And set aside time for the Martin Luther King Community Celebration on Sunday, January 19th at the Carbondale Community, uh, Carbondale Civic Center. Yes. The Carbondale Community Civic Center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. It's coming up quick. And um, I'm, this might be my last, well, let, let's, let, I'm, I should keep it a secret, huh? <laughs> and act for a few weeks that I'm actually, uh, still here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, we could do the phone in and make it seem like you're still here digitally. I might still be here next week, but we'll see. I have uh, accepted a job away from this area, and therefore um, I'll be gone. Yeah. So, really away from this area, out of the country. Yes. That's pretty exciting, but it may, you may still be able to beam in digitally. Yeah. I've done this show since 99, August of 99. So... um I'll try to see to, to it that I don't stop doing the show. So <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yes. Um, we will see you again on the radio. On the radio next week. If you would like to listen to Your Community Spirit, we are online at yourcommunityspirit.org. Send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit. I don't know. Say thank you. <laughs> Yes, we can give thanks for all that we have. All of it. Every bit of it. <laughs>